you're listening to Movies for Decades. Hello and welcome to Movies for Decades. This is a movie history podcast in which we watch one film from every decade, starting in the 1920s and going to the uh, this decade, which is the 2020s. Uh, my name is Colin Albee. Hi, I'm Helen Cottingham. I'm Chase. That's Chase Tin, and he's he's a filmmaker. We, he's a second time guest. Are you our first time, second time guest? I think you are. I don't know who's been on the show this season. No uh, one. No one yet. We've what? Mostly, we've mostly just been kind of doing our own thing this season. And uh, and John Albee is he's in the room right now, but he's he's the John Deucer this episode. He's producing this episode. He might come in to make a snark here and there. We'll find out. Um, so the film we watched for the year 1962 is asking a question... Uh, the question is, whatever happened to Baby Jane? That is the question this movie seeks to answer. Uh, Chase, do you think what what do you think this is the movie's answer to that question? Um, so I guess we can spoil the movie, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah we do okay. spoilers on this. By the way, in case we never announced this at the beginning of our episodes, of like, uh, we uh we do spoilers on this show. Yeah, well, we don't even do a non-spoiler section. We just go like so. <laughs> so how about that ending, y'all? Well, to answer your question, she went fucking crazy. Yeah. Um. So that happened. Um. Hadn't you guys hadn't seen this movie before, right? No, I me neither. I, I I bought it on DVD in like 2015 because I still buy DVDs. Um. Because I'm just gonna old man it, and you're gonna have to pull my dvd and blu-ray collection out of my cold dead arthritic hand honestly you're ahead of the curve because physical media is definitely making a comeback yeah well i take credit for that as a trendsetter and and a just general super hip fashion icon i guess (laughs) then um yeah that's because of me so you're welcome gen z um (laughs) anyways so yeah no she went fucking insane um and which is it's actually kind of topical right now too because um, there's a book out right now from a former child star that didn't go insane, but kind of. Uh, Wait, who? So, uh, I think her name's Jeanette McCurdy or whatever. She was on a Nickelodeon show, and okay. apparently, she had like a horrific experience as a child star and she wrote a memoir about it. Oh, you know, I think I was seeing this vaguely on making the rounds on the social medias. Which I want to read the book because it looks truly fascinating but it's kind of like you know this is a movie also about what fame will do to a person mm-hmm. that early um so I, I thought that was pretty interesting and topical but um also sorry Joan Crawford but this was the Betty Davis show I mean yeah. yes real. I do have some uh, I do have some uh, things to add to that if we want to when we want to get to maybe uh the Oscar section of this episode um, Helen, what do you think happened? Whatever did happen to Baby Jane? What, uh, what's your take on uh, that? She's right there. She never left. Yes. She never grew up. She was Baby uh, Jane her whole life. Oh. And that's the problem, is when a little old lady is both a tiny child and an old lady, you have a dangerous combination of personalities who's going to tie you up and hammer people. Yes, insane. But yeah, she, what do you mean what happened to her? She's always been there. 
and that's well, the problem. So, so the less jokey like intro to this movie is okay. We'll go ahead and run through the plot a little bit. This movie is called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It is a movie starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, who um famously hate each hated other. hated each other um before they made this movie. I mean, wow. This is like this is a really like uh, example of I think a phrase I saw. This was stunt casting. Mm. This was like they kind of knew that this movie was gonna be in, well, in like it was Joan Crawford that recommended Betty Davis. Was it? Is that true? Yeah. So Joan was cast first, mm-hmm. um, and, and they both kind of realized that this was at a juncture of both of their careers where it was kind of make or break. Yeah, they were both their careers were kind of over. They were real life stars in the '30s and '40s who were now uh, well over the hill. Um, yeah, and it's so it's a, difficult to but of course stay they're relevant. Both over fifty, and and they're both kind of, you know, they were big stars in the '30s and '40s, and um, and so this was this was definitely a good career move for them. And they also kind of like, and it was also a big part of this movie's marketing is that like, hey, y'all y'all read gossip columns through the years. You know, these two do not like each other. What about a movie? where they play sisters who don't like each other. Mm. I mean, pretty easy sell that this movie had. And it was, in fact, a hit. Mm. So it worked. Um, so was that Joan Crawford being catty, being like, I read this script and this character's real crazy and Betty can play real crazy because she is, in fact, real crazy. She won't even have to try. Like, so I, th- I saw on Facebook not long ago um, in a group I'm in, like a note that Joan Crawford had sent to the director about how hard it was for her to work with Betty because <laughs> Betty smelled bad, oh according God. to Joan. And it was written in this like really nice like way. It's like, well, if Betty continues to refuse to bathe, it's going to make it very difficult. <laughs> and it's just, imagine getting that fucking note. And this is probably wow. like after a bunch of issues. And then it's like, oh, great. I'm going to wow. ignore this. <laughs> There's also the like, it's like she kicked me too hard. And and like, and, and I was in it, I was legitimately injured. And then like, and, and then everyone else was like, um, Every time Betty Davis was kicking anyone, you were not on set. Yeah. Joan. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so this is a movie where we... One thing I like about... I really kind of liked the beginning of this movie a lot. I kind of enjoyed how this movie just drops you in, mm-hmm. you know, without much of a preamble and, like, not... I mean, obviously, the the beginning is a long pre credit sequence, but that weird, creepy doll shot and then, you know, well, it was like, for one thing, this movie starts on a title card basically 1917 was it or 1915 whichever yeah, it was something like that yeah and you know just the title card and then we get this whole section and um one thought i had i don't know how i don't, I don't know one thought i had at the time watching this is i'm like you know we talk about how older movies like are slower we talk about that but then i'm like you know a more modern movie would ease us in would take a much longer time easing us in than well, this movie does. I feel like this movie also had elements of an era before and a more modern era. Mm-hmm. And I, I point to the acting to kind of point that out. Everybody in the film except Betty Davis is very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Kind of very, a little over the top. The neighbor. Um, yeah, very the, classical. The drunk like, guy and his mom. Yeah. But I see what you're saying, but Betty, it is kind of funny how you're saying how Betty Davis isn't the one who's over the top. She wasn't. She wasn't. The way she delivered the lines, mm-hmm. um, yeah, comparatively, she, it wasn't. It didn't have this sort of like melodramatic theatrical effect on everything. She's just mm-hmm. this pissy 
mean old drunk. Yeah, brassy, that, grumpy. Yeah, you know, like I mean, even you know, and when she's doing the more kind of out there stuff, like uh, when the guy's playing the piano and she's dancing, but she's watching herself in the mirror, and it's just really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even that was a little nuanced and understated compared to everybody else including joan Mm -hmm. um i think that's also kind of a good description of 1960s hollywood which is that it's a fairly unique um moment in cinema history or at least american cinema history in that it really was kind of like we're getting out of the old movie the old movie tropes that you think of with old movie tropes are starting to go by the wayside but they're not quite they're not quite to the level of at least 70s Hollywood. Well, you know, yeah. you have, at the same time that this is being made, you have, you know, the beginning of the French New Wave. Yep. Well, And you're starting to see that sort of exit stuff. from the big Hollywood Cleopatra showpieces to the more realistic. And this was a B-movie, so it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't have been something on the level of Lawrence of Arabia or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's definitely you kind of see that sort of burgeoning more realistic take on on things although you still also have like here is our 10 minutes of exposition where we tell you exactly what's going on like at the end when she's on the beach and she's like i actually tried to run over you (laughs) dialogue 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 yeah um but even in that like you know Betty Davis is ignoring what she's saying and just like playing with sand and acting crazy and childlike. Yeah, yeah, she's completely disassociated. But, but yeah, in the a basics kind of, of a realistic feeling. Yeah, play. in a way where she just like she can't emotionally like handle it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, to go through just the broad sweeps of what this movie's about is it's about two. Uh, it's a coming of age story. <laughs> it's a coming of age story where you get two showbiz. We we meet two showbiz kids. One's named Baby Jane. And um and then and then that's her stage name and then her sister Blanche who's well, she wasn't really a showbiz kid though she didn't make it until she was an adult well like this is well I'm talking about what you mean Blanche, you mean Blanche? didn't make it till she was an adult yeah but it's a showbiz family and so yeah. and and Baby Jane the like I guess ten year old is the star and this is vaudeville set in the nineteen teens and then we kind of skip ahead to the thirties nineteen thirty five is the next title card and this is all pre credits and then we have the well again the broad description of the plot is two kind of has been hollywood actresses who are sisters and live together and have a very acrimonious relationship and things go very badly um so that's the basics plot of this movie but uh i i also like the screening scene Mm. um even though partly i wasn't that convinced by like like i'm not at all convinced that this betty davis Jane lady is bad. Yeah, because yeah, it's like they, it looks like they used one of Betty Davis's actual old they movies, did. and it's she was good, and then the whole time the guy's gorgeous. like smoking yeah. cigarettes, being like, "Oh, this broad." Yeah, she stinks. It's obvious she stinks, and I'm she's like, "No, it's not drug. obvious." Yeah. And I'm like, "She's." I don't know. Maybe it would help. It's just also kind of hard to swallow because Davis was the best actor in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing is that the one the one line I did like a lot from that screening scene is is where the is where they have Betty Davis I guess has a bad southern accent in that movie, and 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 the guy says like she has a southern accent like I have a southern accent and I'm like that got that was like 
Hollywood needs more self-awareness about how bad Southern accents sound a lot yeah. of the time. So I appreciated that. But other than kind that... Kind of a sidebar. When yeah. was the... What, what's a, a bad Southern accent that sticks out to you that just hits you in the head? Well, I just think there's just a lot of movies that are confused about whether or not every Southern person sounds like Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah. Well, or... it's like either that or you get Cletus <laughs> from The Sanders. Simpsons. Yeah. 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 And um, I feel like you get Cletus from The Simpsons more often now and yeah. arguably most people who have are from the south sound like us every mm-hmm. time i go you anywhere know. and they find out i'm from alabama they're like you don't sound like it and i'm like what am i supposed first off i think i do if i listen back to this i'm gonna cringe at the drawl yeah at the drawl hey i can hear it in a's anything with like an a in it it's very well that's because we out. put an h in our where you know but you know i go to new york and people up there are like you don't sound like you're from alabama and i'm like what do you think people from alabama sound yeah like? you expect you don't sound colonel like sanders because you didn't say fuck you <laughs> 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 I, people from New York have been very kind to me every time I've gone up there, so don't don't disparage my people. <laughs> no, I like They're, New Yorkers as well. Oh yeah, no, New Yorkers are great. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's see what what's the next. What what are some things to sort of discuss about well, the mean, plot of this I'm movie? I'm still thinking about the premise that Betty Davis was the less talented of the sisters, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to believe she was just a cute little kid, but once they both grew up, it was obvious that Blanche was well, the talented one. It wasn't and then, just talent, it was that she was a drunk. Yeah, that's I think true. that's the part that the, that's partly why I'm kind of with you in that it's not totally convincing, but I think the main point is that even at this point in her career, she's her. She has self-destructive, self-sabotaging behavior, mm. and that is like. And meanwhile, Blanche is the sister who has her shit together and has a successful career. And yeah. I think that's a true. That's a real like story that happens. So I think mm. they sold that element enough. The Olsen all that twins ex- and Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. yeah. I guess I shouldn't have compared her to that Nickelodeon star since it's like a completely different thing. But, but yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean, it's not totally different. Child just because... stars, it does screw you up in different ways. I mean, yeah. then So and are now... you saying that there's some subtext there that maybe Jane wouldn't have become an alcoholic if she hadn't been a child star? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because I didn't pick up on that much. Well, that whole scene Because she was where, being a, a dick over ice cream. Yeah, but that's like a sign, I think, but. that she was like, ex- she was already expected to be treated like a queen and get her own way and get instant gratification. And um, and then you, you're like that and you have no impulse control and you're never taught impulse control. And then you get introduced to booze. Mm, like, what happens then, you know? <laughs> And they're kind of portraying Blanche, the, the girl, as... She was as, taught to be responsible. Taught to be responsible, and she's just kind of overlooked, and, and she has to earn it. And lo and behold, we, we skip... She appears to have earned it. Yeah, and, and she's, um, like, intimidating these Hollywood guys in the screening where they're like, well, we can't say no to Blanche. Well, her, iron, her contract's ironclad, so we can't get around it. Like, she's, you know, working the system and, you know, definitely has a clear-headed approach to all of this so we've pretty much talked for about as long as the pre-credit sequence is yeah <laughs> and the end of the pre-credit sequence is of course the accident where where someone where we're, we're led to believe that uh that uh betty davis runs over J- joan crawford with a with her nice whatever rolls royce car. Yeah. by the way they don't make cars that look like that anymore that car no. was sexy <laughs> holy no fucking shit no doubt am i allowed to say fuck on this yeah okay good because i've been saying it <laughs> anyway um 
So, but that right, car. So then we get so then we get into this section of the movie, which is the bulk of the movie, which is in, in that kind of like that, you know, kind of subtly dreadful house. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's Gauzy a nice house. old lady furniture. Yeah, the su- they they spent. Uh, Roger Ebert has this comment on um, in his review of this that I read today where he's like the staircase is almost the third lead in this yes. movie. Yes. <laughs> it um, was so busy and weird. And just it just kind of added Well, and to it's the... important to the, you know, you trap Blanche upstairs. Yeah. Notice that she had bars on her window? Yeah. Mhm. Uh, which they go out of their way to show you a shot of that the first time you see the side of the building. Mhm. So mm-hmm. I'm a little unclear on some of the like I don't, I'm kind of curious about your interpretation or or if what I'm missing maybe, but I'm somewhat unclear on like the exact arrangement and how long this exact arrangement we see in this movie where uh, Betty Davis is Joan. I'm kind of just u- using the characters, the the actors' names. Yeah, if that's okay. We can do both, I suppose. Is the caretaker Betty Davis is the caretaker for her sister Joan Crawford? And I'm I'm a little unclear as to how long term that's been. Seemed... I think we're thinking we're looking at like the twenty year mark. Yeah. Because when Joan's watching her old movies or whatever, when they're on TV, they're in syndication at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, she's getting fan mail, and it's like people who would have been younger when those movies came out that are like older now, and they're like, "Oh, I miss your old movie." They keep saying "old" all the oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. It's never, you know, this was not like a recent thing. I mean, happened. my question is is more like. Um, how long have these two been together? Well, I think the I'm, whole time. Because they were together when the accident happened. There's a line together. in this, there's a or line accident. somewhere in that section of the movie, and this is maybe where I should have continued to rewatch the movie more carefully today. But like, there's a line where, where, where to me, what it spoke to is that she's maybe been in and out of the house for the past 20 years. Maybe some of that time in rehab, some of that time not. Something mm. about, some one of those lines with, where they're talking about the doctor. She needs but to like, see the doctor again or something Yeah, like that. but either way, it, it seems like there's not... It does seem like the habit set forth in this is that uh, Betty Davis has a lot of control, has a pretty pretty tyrannical control over her sister's well, movements. they're in the house and they talk about... In the scene that you were talking about earlier when they're talking about her ironclad contract or whatever, they talk about her buying that house at that yeah, time yeah. while she's making the movies. And then it's portrayed as being sort of decrepit by the time we meet them mm-hmm. so that they've been there for i'm gonna say 20 years is probably a good estimate. yeah i guess just my question is how much time has betty davis been running the show there probably the whole time yeah i don't know i think I'm, and especially I'm, if you look at the way people of that era would have viewed disability they don't view it the way that it is it's very much you see it's even in this movie being used as a plot device that like oh she's incapable of living without a caretaker even or, though she's yeah. like just, or even seeing guests she's just paralyzed and not yeah. to mention you the know. fact that her sister is not qualified for this job yeah, yeah. whereas like today <laughs> she would still be in movies yeah yeah for real so um i think one flaw of this movie is i think joan crawford's character is so weak and like inconsistently like meek that it's almost hard to fully sympathize with her because you know there's several times where i'm like and and it's also not clear enough to me how like 
like it's clear enough of Betty Davis's character's mental health status, but I feel like it's a little unclear how with it Joan Crawford's character is supposed to be. Yeah, I thought it was actually an interesting portrayal of the abuse and the kind of gaslighting um, dynamic where, you know, behind her sister's back, she's like, oh, yeah, she's crazy. She needs to go to the hospital. She's not okay. Like, I'm I'm doing everything I can to get out, and I'm going to fix this, and I'm sneaking around. And then as soon as Betty walks in, she's like, yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. I would never say such a thing. Like, just this fear that she has of her. To not stand up to her is just a sign of 20 years of abuse to me. And, and the other thing is that she talks much in a much more self-assured way when uh, her sister is not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because she's yeah, terrified of her. Because Elvira, that's the character, that's the that's the housekeeper's yeah. name, right? Yeah, where where they're actually she talks like, oh, I, everything's under control with her. Yeah, and like um, you're embarrassed yeah. that you're terrified of your abuser, so you put on a good face for other people, and you act like you have you know what you're doing, and then as soon as the abuser walks in, you crumble. But then like, also, previous to this, she was willing to run over her. Yeah, but so yeah, that's kinda... true. So she feels guilty about that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah that seems to be like that kind of threw it all off. I feel about like it. you didn't actually hit her. Yeah, <laughs> right? I feel like the the psychology of her character is underdeveloped. It is. And I think yeah. that's a flaw, and and like it makes me like find her less her story less compelling, and it just made me my it made my react to a lot of the things happening in the movie of like um line crossed like. 30 minutes ago. I mean, as soon as that bird, as soon as we find out what happened to that bird, it's just like, okay. The other thing I think this movie teaches you is that uh, the technology called uh, telephones sucked yeah. until basically well, the late 90s. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about that too because I remember like growing up with that version of a telephone before cell phones were so ubiquitous that it's like you could be in another part of the house and just pick up a phone and listen to somebody's call and you couldn't use the phone while somebody was on the phone yeah it was like that seems to me today like such ridiculous primitive technology and that's what phones were for like most of phones existence yeah yeah. phones do suck now just but as 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 a technology called a telephone they're great uh phones suck uh, now because i have verizon Um, (laughs) sorry they're not gonna sponsor your podcast now um yeah no Uh, it's interesting thrillers used to be phone based in that oh that's off the receiver it's i unplugged it but now thrillers are phones are useful in thrillers because you get somewhere where you don't have service well and i remember (laughs) um the great American usually contrived. Yeah. <laughs> the great American cinema icon um Rob Zombie <laughs> was talking in an interview about why he sets all of his redneck movies in the seventies. And it's because you don't have to like have the obligatory why don't you just use the cell phone? Yeah, scene. why don't you just call? Yeah. It's like, well they don't have cell phones. And that is kind of a thing that it's like especially for a horror movie like this, to where it's okay, we have to explain the obvious reason why they don't have phones and then 20 years from now, when you can get service in the middle of the Sahara, I don't know how they're going to yeah, explain that. how are that. they going to have thrillers anymore? It's like, well, I didn't charge my battery. <laughs> well, I didn't pay hey, my bill. Yeah. It's like I mean, every character. Yeah. No, I think in the middle of the Sahara, you can definitely not be charging your solar battery. Solar You panels. need to stop yeah, putting Pokemon it's, Go. It's draining your battery. It has a solar uh, skin on it. It has a solar skin on it. Yeah, it's going to be less and less. We're going to have to find ways to make... Thrillers thrilling, even though everyone can communicate with everyone. All the truth the time. is, is that they could just have them call nine one one, and the response time is so shitty that they get there like right at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And then shoot everybody. <laughs> God. So, what's like a particular thing in the plot of this movie y'all want to unpack? Uh, 
mean, I was really interested in that dynamic, and you're really making me think with that. Um, Because I was fully sympathizing with Joan Crawford in the beginning. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like Rear Window. This is like classic, Mm. like wheelchair thriller person trapped in a space with a monster after them kind of vibe. How exciting, how cool. Like she's in this weakened position and has to improvise and get out of it, and she can't, and the letter got thrown out the window, and the wrong person picked it up. I didn't understand why she's (laughs) writing a letter and not just yelling at the lady. She tried to yell, but she didn't hear her because her radio was on. So turn the radio off and yell again. Come on. She's not very resourceful. So maybe I'll put my cards on the table a little bit more, which is that I don't think I really particularly liked this movie. Hmm. Okay. I I enjoyed it. It's I found it to be fun generally, but I generally I didn't particularly like it. And I think I think that's partly I think because this movie I, I, I found the, the flaws didn't help, help me to become emotionally invested in it. I mostly enjoyed it as kind of a camp movie. Okay, and, Helen, we can both now attack Colin personally yeah. for being wrong. <laughs> Go um, ahead. So, oh, um, Aren't you so excited I'm not attacking you? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, this was, I mean, I think also you're doing that thing that a lot of people do to horror movies to where... You just you said you enjoyed it as like a camp movie. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. And just because you know, it's not. It's 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 a horror movie. Uh, you uh, have to. Yeah. I felt really impressed. Like I didn't know going into this that it was going to be a horror movie. I thought this was like a prestige talky movie. Like it's Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and I was I think kind that's of like a bias that people have yeah. because it's from 1962 and in black and white yeah but yeah, yeah. but no but funny i really enjoyed that where it slowly dawned on me oh wait a minute this is a horror movie i think it made it more creepy that i wasn't expecting it where i was like wait yeah. a minute this is getting more and more sinister this well, isn't just two sisters trapped in a house together this is a like torture scary thriller I, thing i think it was also from an, an era to where the genre was a little bit more well respected amongst certain quarters because this was an oscar yeah, Oscar movie. bait, yeah. Right, and it's like you rarely get... I can name on my hand, in my lifetime, the Oscar horror movies. And that would be Silence of the Lambs, The Sixth Sense, and um, uh, Get Out. Parasite? I get Parasite? I wouldn't really consider that a horror movie. Okay, it's not a horror movie. And I guess maybe Gross fi- uh, Fish Sex Movie might count. Oh, yeah. It's more of a fantasy movie. But if you got some bad fantasies... <laughs> It's a bad romance. Uh, we're talking about uh, The Shape of Water, by yeah. the way, uh, a.k.a. gross fish sex movie. Uh, splash the remake. God, that movie I like The Shape gender of Water. Gender swap that splash. That movie is such fucking shit. I can't believe it won Best Picture. And I forgot what else was nominated that year, but I'm sure it was better than that. Um anyways so this movie yeah it is a horror movie but i was surprised to find out it was a horror movie halfway through the movie so you know what's and i respect it for that i got this movie for years superficially confused with another move black and white movie from the 1960s that poses a question that of course being who's afraid of virginia wolf and i even and like and but i did actually watch who's afraid of virginia wolf a couple years ago, like on Netflix, like by myself, where I was like, and I literally started playing the movie, and I like at some point during the credits, I I went I went like, isn't Betty Davis in this movie? And I literally hit pause, <laughs> and like looked up, and I'm like, oh, I was I'm like, oh, I thought this was whatever happened to Baby Jane. I'm like, I had those movies completely confused, and um, so that 
that's something that I guess. So therefore, I guess I, I did know more what kind of movie I was watching this time around. I uh, like those titles too that pose a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like for like for Shape of Water, it could have been called like Why is this fish so sexy? <laughs> why Why do I have these feelings? <laughs> Who's afraid of of fish kinks? Yeah. <laughs> Can you get fish pox uh-huh. from those? Okay. <laughs> um, why do I have scars that look like gills? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways. I know what movie we're doing for 2017. <laughs> and we got to get them lined up here, guys. So, um, yeah, the other thing I think there's a superficial similarity between these two question posy movies is that, like, one of the things one of the things that's a theme that we keep picking up on in this podcast is the Hayes production code. Yeah. And so um one of the things I think this movie would have benefited from is so the the Hayes production code is starting to die by the early 60s, but it's but not But it wasn't dead gone yet. till 68, right? Yeah, based, well that's kind of the date that people pick because um that's when the rating system is born mm-hmm. which is the sort of what, what replaced it what replaced it basically which what did they ever retroactively rate things like is, does whatever happened to baby jane have a rating i don't think so okay because it's like i think they do that sometimes when they re-release movies sometimes like theatrically surely mm-hmm. to god it's had a theatrical release since 1962 but i think for the i think they do that only like if it's a movie i don't i don't, it seems like i don't really get why they retroactively rate things and why they don't but i don't think this one I think it just gets that NR, which is what most things are rated. I'm gonna, yeah. I have a phone. Phone, yeah. Here. We'll find I'm out. But yeah, see. so I think one thing I found out when I was I might Google this other topic, stuff instead, like live on your podcast. I feel like this movie could have benefited from the Hayes Code being a little bit more dead and this movie get going a little harder. And then, and then meanwhile, I was thinking like, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is a movie that really benefits from that. And sure enough... Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the first movie that gets A rating from the MPA. It was like... Didn't su- it get a, like a hard, pretty hard rating, too? What, like, Who's Afraid of Virginia yeah. Woolf? It, what it got was suggested mature audience, like SMA. And that is what became the rating system. But that, was the fir- but that movie was the first. And I think that movie really benefits from... And it feels like kind of an adult drama in a way that this one just... Like a modern adult drama in a way that this one is almost there. Hmm. I also think it's funny how there's a they they get away with saying the word bitch early in the movie. Remember <laughs> where she mouths it, but then the buzzer, but you know, kind of yeah tunes it out. And I'm like, they still couldn't quite do that. Yeah, but they they're figuring out ways to get around it. Um, but yeah, pretty much by the late '60s, it was effectively dead. And then they're like, well, can we? We're gonna have a rating system. That's our replacement. Um. So yeah, if this had been postcode, it might have been more scary and more intense and more thrilling and generally more horrifying. Is that what you're saying? Like, I think it just could have. Um, <clears throat> I think it just would have benefited from being. A, I think the emotional end of it would have benefited from being a little bit more raw. Hmm. That's what I think. Uh, see, uh, I think. Because I kind of know what you're talking about with the ending, and I and I think this is maybe just an issue with films of the era, but I, it would have benefited with a couple of things if it had kind of gotten out quicker. Yeah. Right? We kind of meander at the beach for a little too long with, like, the cops mm-hmm. sitting there and then... Staring at her car with their mouths open yeah, for a long and then, time. Like, <laughs> the 
ice cream thing. And then also, I really don't think that the twist of it turning out to be um, Blanche, Joan, Joan Crawford, who tried to run over Betty Davis, mm-hmm. really is much of a gut punch. They it could just, have strung it out, and like they could have maybe like... And apparently it was not rated, ever. Yeah. I think I think they could have found ways to like install the some of the guilt about that incident more and like i in or at least they could have they could have alluded to that a little bit more often before we just kind of get the sort of info dump at the end like maybe because yeah. by the time it happens you're more enthralled in betty davis just being batshit insane yeah yeah and she's so affecting and so scary especially when she's dancing on the beach in that final final yeah. shot and, like yeah. that had an emotional impact i'm not saying it didn't but i I guess that reveal i want to say something about that reveal um the whole time with the feet in the car and the woman's silhouette at the gate in the beginning of the movie didn't make sense to me because it's like i didn't think i never got that there were two people in the car a and so i'm like why who's running over who and how is this it just all seemed really awkward and strange and i almost never bought that betty davis ran over joan crawford because of the way it was like she didn't she couldn't have taken her foot off the brake fast enough i don't know it just all felt weird until you see joan crawford in her room and betty davis being a fucking asshole yeah like i thought based off the 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 scene in 1917 that it was going to be the other way around yeah because I'll the remember. Look. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was some serious some Wednesday uh, Adams shit going well, and on. And she's like yeah. me mugging the whole time. Yeah. And she looks like an asshole. The and other thing is I that I can talk shit about the little girl now because she's probably dead. Oh shit, she's actually probably still alive. That was in the sixties. So, yeah. Sorry, the old lady. Is, well, she was played a scary looking kid. So yeah, but you know. she didn't play like she looked like she was gonna be uh, just a piece of shit. A she sociopath. Yeah. I didn't get the vibes from her that she was like this poor abused kid and sure. Like, the whole time I got the vibes that she was jealous of baby Jane, mm-hmm. and it wasn't going to turn out to be the other way around. That it was going to be like, baby Jane had a career, and then was like, old or whatever, and being taken care of by this pissed off, jealous sister who never got to be in the spotlight. Yeah. I mean, we're The all... fact that they swapped them was confusing. Yeah. I think we're all kind of getting to... You're, you're, you are kind of like, whether you're defining it for yourselves, but you're kind of helping me define what, where I kind of didn't connect with this movie. There was a degree of buy-in that I never fully had on the emotional aspect of the story. So I mostly was just kind of enjoying the movie viscerally, hmm. you know, and, um, and, and just the vibe of it and, and the wonderful cinematography. And, and the, the general intentional cheesiness that I think is there is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, then um i think that it declaws the power and the commentary on how messed up being a child star can make you by making it the sister whose fault it all is like kind of like why can't betty davis just be crazy and screwed up because she got way too famous way too young and why why does there have to be this jealousy thing between them at all? Like, why can't she just be like a very crazy alcoholic who's kind of stuck as a child forever and can't regulate her emotions and is therefore abusive? And, and trying to flip the script on that, too, I think did a disservice to the best performance in the movie. Yeah. 
to where like clearly and and you know and i don't think i would have enjoyed the movie as much as i did without betty davis she oh really she was amazing she's a home run and yeah i mean i don't know what Anne bancroft did that year to win the oscar but part of me is like the oscar's getting it wrong again <laughs> so did you know um, i got a i got some oscar trivia and also some betty davis trivia which is is maybe this is the red avenue yes y'all aren't done do it so go then for w- it. W- one i'll just go ahead and do this makeup story which is that Betty Davis did her own makeup in this movie. She, she looks her, so crazy. She has her. She had her own vision, and like, and she, and the makeup person is like, "I'm really glad that basically Betty Davis fired me because if I had been doing the makeup for her, then I might not have worked in this town again. <laughs> because like, because that because she looked. People are like, "Why did you make her look so terrible?" But like, what she and and her whole vision for her makeup in this movie is that she never washes her face at the end of the day. She just applies more makeup. Yeah. That's all she does with that's so it's just, just layer upon on, layer, layer upon layer. Well, and it's like she's wearing you know makeup in this house to hang out with her sister all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like, why are you putting makeup on to yeah. begin with? And it just looks sad and like a kind of like like almost you can see how baby Jane, like think the the ten year old version, is sort of just like rotted into this deranged old woman yeah and you see this sort of this horrific mummy version of her yeah almost yeah Yeah. and it's you know also kind of a a a little bit i don't know if this was intentional but just sort of a meditation on the damage time can do right yeah it's you know you ever we all we all know a person that we knew at a younger point in life and then you see him again and uh, it's has not been kind to them. And I don't mean physically, but just like and their life is like, not going great. And yeah. sometimes it's like you know, if you if you let yourself look a little bit old, you probably look better. You know, yeah, instead of instead whatever of like it is, instead of whatever it is you're doing, trying to make yourself look younger by caking on makeup, it just yeah. makes you look more crazy. Or I guess in modern standards, having like Botox and Botox to make yourself look like a blow up doll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so then here's the I here's... won't name Madonna. <laughs> oh, <God>. Whoops. <laughs> You no, we won't. No, we not at all. But, uh, <laughs> so then, here's some all-time great kind of Oscar beef um, drama that happened at that year's Academy Awards. Is so leading up to it, after the movie is re- is like there's a cut of it released. Apparently, like Joan Crawford calls Betty Davis and goes like, "What'd you think of the movie?" And 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 uh, Betty Davis goes like, "It was." I thought it was fantastic. I was so good in it. Mm-hmm. And Joan Crawford's like, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh," and like. And she's like, and according to Joan Crawford, she never said I was any good at all. She never credited me at she all. She never mentioned me. She didn't mention me. She didn't credit me at all. She'd give all these interviews talking about how, and, and just letting all this praise on her, but she never gave her scene partner any credit. And and like Joan Crawford's like, I get it. She deserved the Oscar nomination. She had the better role, but she didn't give me any credit. So this is so. Then therefore, Joan Crawford begins actively campaigning. Against, against Betty, Betty. Davis oh my to, God. to lose, and she had a, she apparently worked out a, apparently Anne Bancroft, um, no, if she won, would not be able to attend the Academy Awards. So Joan Crawford arranged that in the event that Anne Bancroft won, she would do the honor of accepting oh the Oscar. God, on her that's behalf. some catty mess. Wow. So therefore, so guess what happened? <laughs> Anne Bancroft won, and. Joan, Joan Crawford, Crawford shoved accept- past Betty Davis and accepted the oh Oscar on her behalf. And that was Betty Davis's last nomination, too, Ouch. in her career out of, like, ten See, and two wins. See, this is amazing because I just watched and did a different podcast episode on All About Eve. 
starring Betty Davis, powerhouse Betty Davis performance, where she is just getting pushed aside and struggling to be relevant as an aging actress. And it's like, wow. And this is 10 years after that movie. Mm-hmm. 11 years. And wow, it's happening. But she's fighting and clawing and hanging on anyway. Like, my It is funny. Goodness. Before this movie came out, they didn't like each other. While they were making this movie, they didn't like each other. And the beef continued through the Oscars <laughs> and Although, the rest of their lives. Apparently, Betty Davis had some nice things to say about Joan Crawford. Eventually. Um, when Joan Crawford's daughter wrote a tell-all book about what a shitty mom she was. <laughs> and then, ironically, Betty Davis's kids did the same thing yeah. to her like 10 years later. Yeah. Um, but when I, okay, so I was gonna look this up, but I didn't because I'm lazy. Hopefully, I did. Listen. Um, why did they hate each other to begin with? I think a lot of it was simply the fact that they were too similar, and that they were both very vain. This is, <laughs> and they were Wait, actors. Yeah, as yeah, they they were vain. They they kind of I guess were up for somewhat similar parts. They kind of I guess traded in popularity a little bit. And I don't know. I guess they ran in this. They ran in the same circles in Hollywood, and they did not become friends. They mm-hmm. like they they just they acted were rivals. Like, they were rivals, and they also did not like each other. And basically, according to people who who knew them, were like, yeah, they were very similar. They were both mean and vain. <laughs> and man, so yeah, that's another thing about this movie that like my feminist tackles started to get raised and then they laid back down where I was like, this is just a pitting women against each other movie written by men, but then I was like, nah, this is fun though (laughs) 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 this is a horror movie and sometimes sometimes crazy people be crazy and it doesn't matter what gender they are I mean, does this movie not pass the Bechdel test in (laughs) blind colors? (laughs) So go back though to you talking about the ending being more raw, you know, I was just thinking about that over the last few minutes, and one thing that I kept thinking watching it while it was going on for too long, is that wouldn't it have been so great if instead of all that back and forth with between Crawford and Davis, if they had just found Jane with Blanche's corpse there. Yeah, yeah, and like that, yeah, that would been so much. That happened. moment where she was making the little sandcastle with the bucket, I thought she had completely buried Joan. Or if Joan's just dead next to her, yeah, she's talking to her, yeah, and then that's how they find her. Yeah, um, which they kind of did because like it, it, you don't explicitly see it, but it kind of implies that she's when Betty Davis is dancing and the crowd's forming that Joan has passed away at that point. So yeah. I did just rewatch. I, um, I did come downstairs for the very ending and to rewatch it. And I was very carefully trying to watch the, cause this is a big wide shot is the final shot. And I'm trying to read the body language of the cops who find her and to see if like there's some sort of slumped shoulder thing, but I, I didn't really. They seem to be speaking to her. So I thought yeah. I got the impression that she was alive. So it's a weirdly like it almost, it almost, I kind of got the same impression from paying closer attention well then why and, would you have all that dialogue about i'm dying all this i'm kind of wondering if this movie's is 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 shorting itself a little bit yeah but it's a vaguely happy ending or was that a thing where she was supposed to be dead and hollywood uh censor production code still time. not dead but dying but not dead so, where, so she can't die because of the production code or and she can't be a corpse to, on the beach because yeah. of the production code. or this movie just wasn't fully comfortable fully going in yeah because there's plenty of movies that are that are pretty emotionally raw that still fit the production so code. this is a year or two after psycho yes this is two years yeah, after Yeah, now that's Psycho. another question I have. Whereas mm-hmm. they, on the Wikipedia article, it says this movie started the psycho bitty genre. 
and well, the hag exploitation is one word. Yeah, exploitation, where it's like a series of horror movies where it's a crazy old lady, and I was like, but wouldn't Psycho have started that? Well, even though the big reveal that wasn't what that was, but that's yeah. what they led you to believe. I guess because at the end, it's it's not a crazy old lady. It's a but it's still the fear of that man. movie. For a lot of the movie, is that it's a crazy. It's definitely a psycho biddy. <laughs> I mean, that movie is in mostly was really just stood out for that era because it was effectively it's the first slasher yeah and that's what it's in some ways most similar to and so it's i don't really think that movie started any trend other than whoa and this isn't a slasher no 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 so yeah but yeah the psycho bitty genre i thought that was so funny and yeah i guess that is a thing the crazy old lady thing um yeah i don't know but yeah and also on the pitting women against each other issue if these women hated each other in real life and this movie's kind of meta then i kind of love that they're pitted against each other yeah it makes it all very entertaining i mean i think that was the whole like i mean i think there's probably some i think it's probably it's at least partially true that joan crawford is like asked you know asked her to come on board but i think maybe joan crawford is giving herself a little too much credit because i think that was absolutely like this movie doesn't work unless we pull this off and get both of these people who are known to hate each other to be in the movie. You know, like, I think I think it's it's hard to imagine this movie working without that energy. Hmm. You know? So, and obviously it helped it be a smash hit. They yeah. need to remake it with Will Smith and Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> but don't change the genders. Have them play women. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> But who so would then it's play like a Medea movie. Oh, I feel no. like uh, I, th- I think Will would, wouldn't he? Yeah, Will would, and like, and, and Chris Rock's the mean one, and and uh, but then he, but then in the end, like Will Smith is is repentant for. I will write this know. movie. Somebody <laughs> get their agents on the phone for me. Yeah. Oh, hi. Whatever happened guy to Baby from Will? Alabama would like to speak to Mr. Smith. <laughs> like, oh, another Will Smith, Chris Rock pitch. Okay. <laughs> At least there's not as many as there was in April. <laughs> um, there's a lot of movies you could do with them, too. But I think another thing Roger Ebert uh, made a point about, which is that it's actually hard for us to imagine, like, exactly what these actresses did to themselves for this movie. Mm. You know, where it's a little bit like... like His, his like, uh, analogy was like, it's like they... It's like Julie Roberts messes herself up this much for a movie, or like what makes herself look that gnarly. Yeah, makes yeah. herself look that gnarly, and maybe that kind of thing maybe wouldn't stand out as much because we have a longer precedent of actresses deglamorizing themselves. Yeah, but that's like, kind of how you got an Oscar there for a minute, like Monsters Ball, and. Um, but I think this movie was a one. What was Halle Berry's? Um, but yeah, where women, beautiful actresses, were playing like serial killers, and yeah, um, or just otherwise getting very dirty and um, grungy. Who won the yeah. most recent Best Actress? Uh, yeah, good question. Wow, it's like it's like so much of because the last one I remember was um, the lady things. from The Favorite. Some things yeah. distracted me from all the other awards this last Oscar. Yeah, so I didn't I don't watch remember. the Oscars this year because <laughs> it was like the most boring slate of movies that could have nominated. I liked Coda. It's Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Jessica and she Chastain ugly up. She did. Is she ugly up? Yeah, she uglied up. Yeah, she's <laughs> the John Deucer spoke for us. He, <laughs> so, he's our research technician. She played. As well. She played. Um. Every movie she's yeah. on, she's great. Yeah. And she campaigned really hard. She deserved it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Campaigning. Who's your favorite uh, Best Actress winner? 
My favorite? Yeah. Mm. Since you're the, the lady on the podcast. And, I, <laughs> and since I love the Oscars. Um, hmm. I don't know. I really liked Nicole Kidman, Kidman's speech when she won for the for the hours. Where she was just like, I just wanted to make my mother proud. <laughs> it was just sweet. She was she just really have won vulnerable. For Batman Forever. Uh, um, I don't know who my favorite is. That was I'm kind of like I. I feel like there's been some. I really liked Frances McDormand, like uh, in in um, in any of her multiple wins. Yeah. Yeah. She's but, that's <laughs> basically. I, I kind of everybody pays attention to um why I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Devil wears Prada, lady. Uh, Meryl Streep. Yeah, but like Anne Hathaway. I you know, I gotta say like out of my, out of the uh, Hollywood powerhouse ladies like Frances McDormand is for me that's the yeah she's great she's the always champion. good. There's one that nobody talks about anymore. She but uh, Melissa Leo. Hmm. Yeah. She won for the fighter. I'm a huge Julianne Moore stan. By the way, what did she win for? John agrees. I'm not sure. I think she won. Got her Oscar in the '90s, but I'm ba- a huge fan. But I don't know what she did. I don't. I don't know what she won her Oscar for. But I. I think she always rules in any movie she's in. Is is Julianne Moore like every every time she's in a movie, she she she's just she knocks it out of the park. I mean, she's she's like low key like up there with Laura Dern in that like anytime I see her appear in a scene, I'm like yes, yeah, <laughs> Julianne's here. Yeah. Um, there are actors who are primarily TV actors that I wish would win an Oscar for something. Um, the very talented Miss CCH Pounder being one. Um, did you ever watch The Shield? No. You've seen her on ER. She was on a couple of seasons of ER. Was she one of the revolving door nurses? She was a surgeon. Okay. Um, she's a black lady. She was on the first couple of seasons. She was like the head of surgery. It is show. true. I don't know the early seasons as well as the later seasons of ER. When 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 Georgie Clooney is still there, she was there when when he was still there. She yeah. is also a voice in Avatar. Anyway, she's great. John's looking up a picture of her now. She was in The Orphan. <laughs> okay, she's right. my probably my favorite actress. She's uh, fucking amazing. You guys should look up her work because it's everything she does is great. I, I do recognize her. She's yeah. She's she hasn't. Ever, you know, she. I, I want her to. I want her to win an Oscar for something. So that well, would be good. Let's, let's maybe make it happen. I don't know if she's ever been nominated either. She's done can, a lot of. Can TV. we? Can we like contribute to Oscar campaigning next year? I think we can exert our influence. But only for. I mean, I'm gonna have an Oscar movies. pod next year. Oh no. Yeah, I've got it all planned out. Oh dear. I mean, that was a long time coming. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of, I skipped Oscar season last year. But I do. I want to get back into the saddle this year and see what's what's up. I think we're now that we're um, kind of post COVID. Hopefully, that we'll get a lot of releases that more attention that we didn't get in the last couple of years. Yeah, but anyway, this movie. I'm trying to think if there's any other. I think I got off the the juiciest um, research that I discovered. Um, mostly, it's just of course this movie has an all time great Oscar beef. You know. I heard that Joan Crawford accused Betty Davis of doing 9 11. <laughs> 9/11 jokes. Um, it's okay. It's been 20 years. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that really struck me about this movie. Yeah, I mean, it was very 1960s in a lot of ways, in this very like classic trapped in a house. I enjoyed kind of how it said suburban feeling. The, they said the title cards were 1917 and then 1935 and then. Um, 
yesterday. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yesterday if you lived in near night 60 years ago. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, can we talk about the um, the the awkward British man in this movie that felt like sure. dropped from a completely different with movie. His, yeah, and that's the thing that you see in a lot of movies from this era with these like supporting characters that are just like, you are a plot device and nothing more. Yeah. And I, it's odd because like you. He's like, where did he come from? And she's like, kind of in love with England, him. Helen. Yeah, which I thought was a pretty funny line. Yes, I that. do like tea. I am from England. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I thought that was a funny line. I do feel like that was that was one of those where I was puzzled by that plot development, and I wondered because this is actually based on a novel, and one of the things that, that like um, I didn't find out much about the novel. Um, the main thing I I found out, but I wondered if in the novel this is like a bigger part of the story. But you should read the yeah, novel. I wonder if there's so. something about where they've stolen each other's boyfriends in the past because Betty kept being like, you'll take him from me. He'll like you more than me and stuff like that throughout mm-hmm. the conversation. And it's like, no, I think that he would just be concerned that you have your sister tied up. He seems um, to only care about money. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, so. well, to be fair, because he's not, it's clear that he's not making much money doing his piano hustling. So it's like, I was very much sympathetic to his uh, storyline. He should hustle pool at the plaza. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you can make a lot of money doing that or failing to do that, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and I will say one thing about that is I thought that was kind of like very, tacked on and hokey but everything about the movie that i felt that way about betty davis's reaction to it was perfect and yes. made it worth it because like her mm-hmm. obsession about having a friend was very both sad and unsettling yeah at the same time because it's like this 50 something year old woman talking like a 12 year old yeah and there's just something which very is so unsettling der- yeah. yeah but it's both you feel bad for her and also afraid of her at the same time yeah and she walked that line and this could have been unwatchably cartoonish and gross and weird and i feel like i've seen it in other places where it's like this acting like a child grown woman acting like a child thing but wow she pulled it off and it well, worked and i think it's because it wasn't a hundred percent of the time yeah she oscillates between those moments where that kind of vulnerability comes out and you mm-hmm. see that it's underneath this crusty alcoholic layer yeah. where she's like killing birds and yeah doing fucking murdering people that's yeah. the thing we haven't talked about <laughs> well, yet she like murdered they, the housekeeper yeah she murdered what they do the well maid. except she doesn't murder her apparently like i thought she did but then like but then rewatching the ending it's like oh they found her and they're like i thought they found they, her body what I was getting is like she, no, miss, I think missing she's woman. I got that impression first time I watched it, but rewatching it now, I was like, it sounds like oh, gl- I'm glad they found her. Yeah, they found her, and Helen, I'm like, you have the internet pulled up. Look up and see if she's dead. Is she dead? <laughs> I got the impression that it was at least more ambiguous than I had thought when I first watched it, and now I'm like going like, is that another tacked on vaguely happy ending they're giving us? Because but it did seem pretty obvious to me that she was dead and um i guess one thing that also like bludgeoned quite a bit with a hammer yeah well they cut so but one thing i i thought is good about how her character works and how her character operates is that like she only does uh her weird childlike thing when she feels comfortable and in control of her world but when she's you know she's being tyrannical when her, her control of the world is being threatened so i think that's partly the through line well, that makes the character psychologically. It says a little in this yeah. synopsis that um, she kills Elvira. 
Yeah. So that's what makes sense anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's messed up. Very. Yeah, I mean, that's when the line got crossed. That's where she had no. That's where the line got crossed. Not <laughs> well, 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 what I mean is that. Sister prisoner? No, no, no. That's no, what when I mean she is there started was like, to lose it. Well, that's it's when just the, the Jane point started of, to lose it. The point of no return was reached at that yeah. point. As soon as you yeah. get some murder happening, yeah. then, like, yeah. Then things are a little worse. But that's after she did that and the police called, she was calling for Blanche. Like, help me, big sis. I don't know what to do now. We've got to run away together. They're going to be mean to me again. Like, that's when she suddenly wanted her big sister as a comfort. Um, and she was obsessed with her father. Yeah. So she had that sort of, like, weird relationship. Who went along and spoiled her. Yeah. It was also kind of a piece of shit, though, because it's like, you know... It's very apparent in the first scene that she's just a like little cash register for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and her mom is uh, that was kind of that like it's like baby Jane clearly takes after her father while Blanche takes after her kind of pushover mother. Yes. Yeah. I think that was I think um, that was clear. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. So. Yeah. It's the that's one of those things where I think they could have well I think there's enough there. Um. And yeah. and of course she she sort of. Uh, I guess because her father gave her whatever she wanted, but for other reasons, she's sort of put him on a pedestal, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and it's also she associates, I guess that's, it's kind of like baby Jane is that guy from high school who peaked early and now he has a shitty life. And it's like you run into him at the gas station and he's like, hey, you remember, you remember 10th grade? Yeah. And I'm like, uh... Yeah, but like I remember eighth grade, good movie. That was many years ago. Have you not done anything since then? He's like, well, no. You know, so that's kind of that. She's like, that's it's. Also, what happens when you peak as a child, and then you have to live the rest, the majority of your life in the shadow of that thing that you did when other people are like, you know, busy not peaking. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really sad commentary on child stardom. And it's amazing that how self-aware they were then and how it's still a problem now and nothing's really changed. And I I was wondering if it was some kind of commentary on Shirley Temple. But as far as I know, Shirley Temple wasn't screwed up. You know what? I think it, there was a real story. Like, I don't think Shirley Temple was that screwed up. Like, yeah, I think like, she was okay. I think the... Um, I think there was, this is vaguely based on, or there is a similar story, sort of Hollywood legend of a silent movie star in the, who was accused of murder hmm. in the early 20s. And I think she was never charged and never went to trial or anything. It kind of got shoved under the, under the rug, but it did destroy her career. And so, but, but she, and she lived into the 60s and 70s as a increasingly weird and reclusive old woman somewhere living in Hollywood. Mm. And like that's 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 a part that's sort of a Hollywood true myth, um, if there is such a thing in Hollywood. Yeah. And that that like this this movie I think is influenced by. What a weird town L.A. is that there yeah. are just old stars oh, you know what? lurking in their homes, be trying to be normal people you all know over what? the place. Axel Rose. <laughs> you know what? This is actually something I really liked about the piano player plot. Because yeah. I think it was like really solidifying it as an L.A. movie, which yeah. is that L.A. is full of people who are hustling and failing. <laughs> people you who know? play piano and can't afford rent. Yeah. Yes. The only difference is that like today he would have 80 fucking roommates <laughs> and he would live in like, you know, Garden Grove yeah. and work in a call center or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just like I'll sure. and uh, and I also appreciated that scene with the with the customer service table where she's like, "I'm Baby Jane," and, and he she's says, like, "Who?" And he says, "Huh?" But I think that's a very LA thing where it's like, "Hey, do you recognize me?" And he's like, "What are you in a show?" I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. trying to. I'm just trying to give you your. Well, and like think about. Yeah, I'm just trying to LA, give you your dry cleaning lady. Like, you know, come on. At least that's yeah. a very LA thing. <laughs> at least Baby Jane was a star at one point. I imagine there's a lot of people in LA who had like one guest spot on some on Frasier, <laughs> and they're like, "Did you see episode 83 of Frasier? <laughs> I was the waiter." And now uh, you're a waiter. Now I'll like, take some coffee, please. <laughs> um, you know, and it's. I, did, I want to live in L.A., though. I really no, I want uh, to yeah, get I mean, out I, of I was Birmingham getting, and live in I was LA. getting weirdly good vibes from my brief time there. Is, Even, is like, the bad <laughs> stuff. There was a documentary at Sidewalk a couple of years ago called Whirly Bird. I remember that, but I didn't see it. It's so great. Um, I mean, it, it's, it gets really sad at the end, but it's, like, this wonderful... I don't know if wonderful is the right term. It's this interesting L.A. story um, about one of the dudes and his wife that had, like, the Action News copter. So it's I highly yeah. recommend that. Uh, that has nothing to do with whatever happened to Baby Jane, but I'm gonna just kind of go off on tangents now. Well, like maybe our tangent now is is is, is unless we have something final to say about whatever. What's our runtime so far, Mr. Producer? An hour and two minutes. All right. Oh, okay. So it's time to maybe do what we're consuming. You know about what are we consuming? What else are you consuming, Chase? You know about this segment. Uh, you guys go first because I'm gonna like make something up if what I'm consuming isn't cool enough. Like if okay. Helen says something really great. And then mine is like, I watched ER again. It's not <laughs> good enough. But one thing I wanted to ask is, before we get to that, is how do you guys, like, when do you guys feel that you peaked? Helen, when did you peak? When did I peak? Right now. You're peaking Today. right now on this podcast. Yes. I'm very sorry. <laughs> That's, um, this is it. <laughs> this is, Helen's life is made up of many foothills. Yes. Um, I better not have peaked. <laughs> John, yell real loud. When did you peak? Uh... I don't like this question. <laughs> yeah, I think this is this, this is, is a, making Chase, us This is a horseshit question. <laughs> okay, you guys, Sir. just because you guys can't be honest with yourselves, uh, I peaked at twenty four, and ever since then I've been fat and sad. Oh, um, whatever. So, yeah. So, so I'm sorry that everybody here can't accept the truth <laughs> and is is living a whatever happened to baby jane lie john's gonna start dancing and crazy next to a body (laughs) one last thing i want to say about whatever happened to baby jane is i recently watched eraserhead and all i could think about was the woman in the radiator every time i saw baby jane yeah okay because of that kind of janky makeup in black and white okay that's interesting anyway Hmm. eraserhead is bullshit (laughs) shut up shots fired (laughs) take okay Season seven's gonna be crazy with Eraserhead with seventy seven, right? Yeah. And, uh, Shape of Water twenty seventeen. I'm calling it right now for season seven. I want to do twenty seventeen, and I'm picking Shape of Water. <laughs> Put this in the archives. You have to keep this podcast going. And you're so gonna can... just come on and hate it? Yes, and we're gonna have a fun time talking about what bullshit that movie is. I, I like the Shape of Water and <laughs> how wrong Colin and the Academy are. I don't necessarily think that movie deserved all the Oscars, but I liked the movie. Um, anyway, so Helen, what are you consuming? What am I consuming? Because I'm kind of with Chase. I'm not really sure what my vibe is uh, for what I'm consuming. I'm, She's like the shape of water. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I've been... Have you been consuming water? 
Yes, I hope I've so. been consuming water. water. I fill people. a water bottle up every morning and drink it at work. Oh, you know good. it has a, a, a large amount of microplastics in it. Yeah, I'm definitely getting cancer. That's what I'm consuming is cancer. Um, because Wait, I peaked at 24. Are microplastics bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, now what have I been consuming? I've been kind of trying to finish up podcasts that have been sitting in my um, subscribed and not touched like short like six episode documentary style podcasts so i'm finishing them and unsubscribing to yeah just trying to clean out my queue a little bit so i listened to the lolita podcast which john recommended Janie, jamie loftus amazing person also her podcast ghost church about american spiritualism very interesting uh Listen to a podcast called The Promise about segregated schools in Nashville. I listened to Floodlines, which was about Hurricane Katrina. I've just been educating myself about random, like, short burst documentary style, concise little podcasts that explain one subject in extreme detail. And um, it's been fascinating, and that's what I've been consuming. Can you send me some recs based off of that? Do you You're want asking Helen to give Rex on yes. podcast? <laughs> Just get on the book. Buckle up. And send me some Rex because my usual podcasts consist of political podcasts, true crime, and 90s professional wrestling. I feel like I've tapped out all of those. Just yeah. I mean, sure. Not right now, but yeah. So I've seen some good movies recently, but I also um, I went to the bad movie night on Friday and saw The Happening, which is a uh, from woof. Is that an M Night Shyamalan joint? She, M Night Shyamalama <laughs> uh, joint, and um, that was definitely in the point of his career where like he would already, he was already a joke. I, you know, like that movie come, came out in two thousand eight, and I missed it partly because the buzz was Has not it been good. that long. I know, and it, watching the movie, like aside from the fact that. Bad movie night is fun because people were making some were making them jokes. Um, and uh, weirdly, like, and and it's disturbing how anachronistic two thousand eight looks like. Sometimes. Yeah. Also, phones sucked back then. It's too. just weird because it's um, the year I graduated from high school, and I remember yeah. that like two month period in the the summer so very clearly, right? Because you have anytime you have like a major life event, and I'm like, God damn, that has been that many years ago, and I have not accomplished enough so I'm... i don't know 2008 it was the, my freshman year of college and that feels like a long enough and busy enough time ago that where i'm not that bothered by that but definitely like um the happening amazingly bad movie yeah. um kind why of fun is, though why is it bad marky uh, mark plays a scientist hey marky mark <laughs> is... a school teacher where he's like where he's like he was do some science stuff douchebag that's a line from that movie uh... he's done what Marky Mark has done some also, good movies. He talks to a plant. He was guys. a scientist in the Planet of the Apes remake. I guess because he was in space. Only scientists go to space, right? I guess. And Marky Mark. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I also saw some uh, some good movies here and there. Um, did you see Bullet Train? Did you end up seeing it? No. And right now I'm just thinking about how like Marky Mark should have played Oppenheimer in that new movie. <laughs> And how that We're would've... trying to make a bomb here. <laughs> With like a bad Boston accent. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, what was the quote? That the uh, the Mars destroyer of worlds quote or whatever that Oppenheimer cited? When oh, they... Now uh, I become death. Now I become death. Yeah. yeah, imagine that, but with Marky Mark saying it. Yeah. Now I become death. <laughs> Say hello to your mother for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So that movie is peak, like, <laughs> laughable Mark Wahlberg, except that he's the, uh, he's the lead of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fun. Like, Zoe Deschanel's in it for some reason. For some reason, the dumbest Nobody joke is... Nobody has talked about her in a I while. know. She's... Be- and, and for some reason, like, the, one of the worst jokes got one of the best laughs among people making fun of it in, at the sidewalk cinema, um, where, where she picks up the... Zoe Deschanel got a missed call from someone named Joey, and someone said... That's from Joey Deschanel. Um, wow. Wah, it's not that wah. funny. <laughs> I don't get it. And uh, It rhymes. And uh, <laughs> I got an okay laugh from when I, I entered the... Uh, I got back with a beer after I went, to, I went on a beer run and then came back in and walked past people in the back and said, What's happening? <laughs> and by the way, if you took a shot... If you took a shot every time they say the word happening in the happening, then, I mean, you could die. Because that's dangerous. literally, they say, well, something's happening. What's the movie what about? A lot. Like, everybody just disappears or something, right? Is that what happens? The concept of the movie is that, um, for some reason, there's the wind blows and, and there's spores in the air or something, and people start to kind of get spacey and then violently commit suicide. So it's kind of like the crazies a little bit, but instead of killing other people, they just commit suicide? Yes. And it's not as good as the crazies? Hey, the crazies is, is a good movie, by Are, the way. The remake or the original? I actually like... I've only seen the remake, and I like the remake. The remake is excellent. I haven't yeah. seen the original, even though it was a, a Uncle George movie. Okay, um, good. So we're on the same page. But I, yeah, I've the, heard the, re- the original is actually kind of bad. Really? Yeah, I, I thought the... Yeah, that's when I saw it in the Dollar Theater a long time ago. No, it was the was remake killed. with Timothy Olyphant was... God, that was that Probably was one also of the best remakes. Yeah, no, that was two thousand nine. Yeah, um, or maybe ten. It was around there. And God, I can't believe it's been that apparently long. that's one where M Night tried to be like, tried to defend the movie. Like, what? I set out to make a B movie, and they're like, and you're like, quit insulting B movies, bro. <laughs> you know. Anyway, so what are you all right, it's your Chase? turn now, Chase. So I've been watching The Shape of Water. Uh, <laughs> um, You've just, been hate watching it, or do you secretly love it? Maybe. No, um, what I've really been watching just is... Just like she loves the fish monster. <laughs> she don't secretly love the fish monster. She she's don't secretly. She's all in on the fish monster. Yeah. <laughs> it's she kind she, of... She, she all up in. And then, like, she's the good guy. And I'm like, that's... Lady, you know, bestiality's illegal. <laughs> like, you're you're kink-shaming, Chase. I mean, it's not right. <laughs> the FBI dude that they made seem like an asshole is actually the good guy here. And that lady is the bad guy, and she shouldn't have been allowed near the fish monster for obvious reasons. <laughs> I like she how much better you him. remember this movie than, she, than we do. I mean, I don't even think the fish monster can, like, consent to that, legally <laughs> speaking. So Hollywood, with their terrible pro-fish sex values, <laughs> once again, coarsening the culture. Yes. Anyway, what I've really been consuming is I've started from the beginning watching Parts Unknown. Um, oh yeah, because Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace, an mm-hmm. absolute treasure. Um, I'm only I've only been doing this recently, so I, I um, am doing the third episode tonight. The second episode was L.A. actually, mm. and he went to a lot of wonderful Korean places in L.A. Um, and I want next time I go to L.A. I want to hit up some of those places. I only went to Thai. I think the only restaurants, Asian restaurants, I really went to because I wasn't doing a huge food scene were Thai restaurants. Yeah, and. Well, he spent a lot of time in Koreatown. Um, I think he did multiple episodes in L.A., so I'll see the other ones as I progress through the series. And he might have done some on his previous shows, too. But I love Anthony Bourdain. 
Um, if I could have had any job in show business, it would have been working on his show. Um, just such everything about him was amazing. And the Myanmar episode, which was the first one, was great and also a little scary. Um, have you guys seen it? Mm-mm. So they go out of whatever the capital city of Myanmar is to the country and they get on this fucking train. And it's doesn't look very safe because it's just jerking back and forth rocking and they like take you know the camera guys filming it while they're traveling and it's like this thing's gonna come off the rails at any minute but um but yeah but it was also so cool to get to see a country like that and get to go to a place that like as an american you wouldn't go on vacation to myanmar right but Mm -hmm. you know these are places that maybe people should experience because it's there's such a rich culture and people and food and and food's a good way to be a to experience a culture yeah instead of taking your you know your vacation to you know vegas for the eight millionth time maybe go somewhere off the beaten path yeah because i want to take my overseas vacation to a place that he loved a lot which is hong kong Mm. uh here soon and get to experience that and walk around and maybe go over to i think it's is it macau is that how the town next to it that's like their vegas is mm. pronounced and then lose all of my money on the tables yeah except for the last time i was gambling i was doing very good until hugh who's not here right now made me leave hey i mm. made you leave no hugh came over and he was like i can't be in your slot machines and i'm like hugh if you were addicted to slot machines i wouldn't be able to drag you off of them you just don't want to be here and i'm <laughs> up several hundred dollars and you're, you're really cramping my style <laughs> Hugh. I think you need to thank you because you left with money. I would have left with significantly more money <laughs> if it hadn't have been for have. Hugh. He owes me thousands of dollars. So. Okay. Good luck with that. Well, thank you guys for having yeah, me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for All coming. Right. And, and I'm glad we answered the question. Um, whatever happened to baby Jane? And I, was, I guess she got arrested is what happened. Yeah, she her. got arrested. She got arrested. Uh, no, they're probably like, oh man. I don't want to deal with this. I just left. I don't know. Anyways, he said, like, I'll see Joan Crawford, you're alive. Yeah, no, no harm, no foul. <laughs> yeah. Except for the, you know, housekeeper. We'll get you a bludgeon. new bird. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I'll see you guys again on season seven for the okay. 2017 episode. Sure. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye, y'all. Music Bye. Bye.